edition Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith. Yep, me again. And I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, where this week we are going to include the preview show within this, just because of the condensed schedule. We didn't want to bombard you guys with too many podcasts. So we will wrap the preview right into this. And also all of that other huge news of the week that we've been talking about on the site. So uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm happy to be here. It has been wild so far since Bayern Munich restarted. Two consecutive draws, one against RB Leipzig, one against FC Köln, neither of which has really left the fans feeling all that great or all that confident. But lo and behold, this team is still very good. There's still a lot of season to play. But hey, listen, it's not perfect. It's not going to be perfect. I'm more worried about the club's long-term strategic goals here than I am this particular season, and we will talk about that for sure toward the end of this episode. But of course, let's get that preview going. Bayern Munich is not hot right now. If you were going hot or cold, this is a very lukewarm Bayern side since the restart. As I mentioned, Bayern had two consecutive draws. Uh, one against Leipzig, which was 1-1. One against FC Köln, which was also 1-1. The defense has been up and down. It hasn't been terrible to the point where they're letting up a lot of goals, but communication and positioning continue to be a little bit haphazard. Offensively, Bayern has not looked in sync. They have been very choppy. I don't think the player combinations that have been used have worked particularly well. Uh, also am theorizing there's a hell of a lot of weight on Jamal Musiala's shoulders right now. And I'm not so sure that the pressure isn't getting to him a little bit, but let's take a little look at where Bayern Munich and Eintracht Frankfurt are in the standings. Of course, Bayern Munich is sitting in first place through 17 match days. They have 10 wins, six draws, one loss. That is good for 36 points. They have 51 goals for 15 against both pretty darn good numbers course in their last five games Byron has three wins and two draws I tracked Frankfurt however is quietly putting together a very very solid season uh, they have through 17 match days they have nine wins four draws and four losses that's good for 31 points right now that pushes them into fourth place ahead of Borussia Dortmund and SC Freiburg who both also have 31 points um Eintracht Frankfurt has 36 goals for 25 against. Since the restart, Eintracht Frankfurt has a 3-0 victory over Schalke and a 1-1 draw with SC Freiburg. Over the course of their last five games, dating back to the Hinrunde, Eintracht Frankfurt has three wins and two draws. So this is a very good Eintracht Frankfurt side. I don't think that there's any doubt uh, at least among the BFW community, this Eintracht team can be very dangerous, not just for Bayern Munich, but for the rest of the league. I think, you know, I personally did not expect Oliver Glasner to be able to rally this team like he has this season. I think he's done a really good job. Of course, they've got a couple of stars that are breaking out, as they always seem to do. Randall Colo Moani has been one player who has really gotten a lot of attention, especially on the transfer market. And it looks like he's going to be another one of these Eintracht Frankfurt players who has a, a great uh, period in the Bundesliga and who will attract a lot of attention and who will probably ultimately leave after this season because I think some club is going to get a little bit desperate for an attacker and probably offer Eintracht Frankfurt 
a little more than Kolo Mwani is worth, and that will probably seal a deal. Uh, Kolo Mwani is an interesting player. I think he's he's got a lot of talent, of course, but uh, when clubs start to get desperate and when a, a player really starts to emerge like he has, becomes a hot commodity and that will draw some attention. And I do think that Eintracht Frankfurt has been so good at acquiring talent and developing talent that when it recognizes an opportunity to make a lot of money that will help the club in other areas, I think they, they more often than not seize that opportunity. And I think that's what will ultimately happen with Kolo Moani. I just feel like he probably won't slow down this season and if he can continue some type of consistency, he's definitely going to line himself up to be the next Luka Jovic or Anti Rebic, who uh, those were two players who really exploded on the scene. We could talk about Sebastian Haller as well. They did, they all did so well at Eintracht Frankfurt and were able to garner enough interest to bring in some money for the club. So um, Eintracht Frankfurt has just been really, really good at util- utilizing the talent that it has developing it and making it really attractive to other clubs. One of the other players that I'd like to to focus on is of course, Mario Goetze, who, uh, you know, we have seen a lot of stories lately uh, about Goetze and his uh, resurgence. We also happened to see one this week uh, from Ole Honus who talked about when Hansi Flick wanted to bring in Mario Goetze and then it just didn't work out at the time, but it was very interesting to hear Ole talk about it because, uh, you know, Mario Götze has been a polarizing figure at Bayern Munich. Of course, when he initially transferred to the club, I believe that was back in 2014. Um, it was a very difficult time because, of course, he was battling an illness or an ailment that he didn't even know he had. So over the course of that, he has just had a wild ride in his career. Of course, he hasn't quite reached the heights that I think most expected for him after the 2014 World Cup when he had the miraculous game-winning goal for Germany over Argentina. But I do think Goethe, I don't think the talent has ever waned. I think, honestly, it's one of those situations where his body has let him down a bit. Uh, and it's nothing that could have been prevented when you're dealing with that kind of ailment, which I believe was a metabolic disorder. Um, it was really affecting him. And he's also dealt with some other injuries as well. So the guys had a really, really unfortunate uh, time in his career and dealing with injuries. But I I don't think that even through all of that, you can deny that he still has that talent and he still has the ability to impact games, which I think he's done a good job with at Eintracht Frankfurt. He's playing a different kind of role, a role that's now more suited to a veteran player, which he is. And I think that he prov- provides a lot of leadership and a lot of guidance to, to me, what is essentially a very, uh, inexperienced Eintracht side. By inexperienced, I don't mean they're necessarily young, but they're not experienced in having to really seriously compete for a Bundesliga title. And I think that's what they are doing this season. I think that they are legit contenders. Of course, another big reason for that, aside of Gutsa, is the play of Kevin Trapp in between the sticks. Trapp was linked to Bayern Munich, but of course, uh, you know, those things uh, just tend to emerge out of nowhere. It did seem like that was a case where Trapp's agent might have been trying to stoke the fire a little bit, but either way, that was soundly denied by Frankfurt and Trapp will most certainly be uh, in net against Bayern when the two teams square off this weekend. Uh, As for what we can expect from Bayern Munich, after playing the same lineup two games in a row, I'm very curious to see 
how Julian Nagelsmann handles this. Uh, I honestly couldn't even guess at what he's going to do. Will he play it stubborn and start the same lineup once again? Will he mix things up? If he does, who steps out? And there's going to be an overarching theme with some of the choices that I think Nagelsmann is probably going to make. Um, But uh, let's just take a look at how I think this this squad is going to set up. And and again, I could be way off because I am just spitballing here. We we have no idea what Nagelsmann is going to do. We'll have Jan Summer, of course, I think, even though it's the third game in a week's time, I think that Summer just needs the uh, experience playing with this team and and needs to get a feel for them, and they need to get a feel for him. So I think it makes sense that he plays this game as well. At center back, I think Dio Upamakano and Matthijs Delict still need more time. They still need more communication. They need to work on it. So I think it's imperative that they play together and continue to do so. Uh, that partnership needs to get better. It's not that they've been bad. They certainly have not. But they are definitely not completely in sync at all times. And I think that if Bayern ultimately wants to have a chance to win the Champions League or even get past PSG into the next round, those two are going to have to be better collectively. As far as the outside backs go, it's very similar to the center back situation in that uh, there really aren't many other options. I think Alfonso Davies and Benjamin Pavar are are no doubt starters there uh, for this match. Davies, of course, is has been good, but there are some lapses. I'd like to see a little bit more consistency out of him and some growth in his game. Benjamin Pavar has been decent as well, uh, but of course he's got the cloud hanging over him that he wants to leave the club, allegedly. So, um, you know, those two are the starters for better or for worse, as long as Nusar Mizrawi is out. And even though I may think Pavar at this stage is a better player than Mizrawi, you can see how the club or Julian Nagelsmann might want to start integrating Mizrawi into the starting 11 a little bit more, given that he is committed to the club uh, with his contract, whereas Pavar seems to be actively looking to leave it. The midfield is where this really gets interesting, and it's a topic that we will also talk about in a little bit. Yashua Kimmich is a no-brainer. As much as I think he needs to he needs to sit occasionally, given the magnitude of this Eintracht-Frankfurt matchup, you need Kimmich in this match. But from here, it gets a little bit difficult. Leon Goretzka left the last match after a head clash. He was complaining of dizziness, so he was taken out. I don't know if Nagelsmann will roll him right back out there. We haven't really heard anything about any ongoing effects or if he definitely had a concussion. Uh, You know, you can make all the assumptions you want about what dizziness means after a head clash. But Goretzka, for better or for worse, has been Kimmich's partner. And I think he's done a pretty damn good job of it. Not everyone agrees with that. And I think the coaching staff is actually starting to sour on Goretzka a bit. I think it has part to do with his availability. He always seems to be picking up some kind of ailment, some kind of a knock, and it's really hindered the coaching staff's ability to depend on him. So if Goretzka doesn't start, which I'm going to predict right now he does not, where does Bayern Munich's coaching staff look to? Do they go with Ryan Gravenberg, who was used as the substitute against FC Cologne and came in and did an, an okay job? He was good, not great in my eyes. Um, of course, Gravenberg, you could really surmise that he's getting a little bit more of a look now because he complained so adamantly about his playing time in the fall. And with some of the vultures circling like Liverpool, who wanted to bring him in on a loan, 
Uh, you can see that the club might be feeling a little bit of pressure to show him a little more love in terms of playing time and give him the opportunity. I found it interesting that he was brought in to play that eight position next to Kimmich because we had just heard uh, before the World Cup break happened that Bayern Munich had started to consider Ryan Gravenberg as more of a 10 than anything. So I thought the transition to him playing the 10 would start to happen, which of course would have meant less playing time overall because that position is jam-packed. But I think what we're going to see is probably Gravenberg one more time, this time in a starting role in a key match. Uh, I think Marcel Sabitzer, uh, given the club's imminent signing of Conrad Leimer, of course, reports are that Everything is done except the announcement at this point. I think it's just it can be ascertained that Sabitzer really is not in the club's plans. We have seen reports that he still doesn't want to leave. But I think if he does not start this match, given Goretzka's state, it sends a clear message about what his future at Bayern Munich might look like. And what I mean by that is, sure, you can stay, but you're never going to play. And it would be a shame because I think Sabitzer's had a really, really good uh, run here this season and I think you could make arguments that he was a better partner for Kimmich than Goretzka was for different stages of the season because of his ability to sacrifice his own game for the betterment of what Kimmich wants to do so um, if Gravenberg starts and Sabitzer sits I think it's a clear message as to what this club expects from Sabitzer and and if they want him back next season which honestly I don't think they do uh, and that is a shame. He's still a very good and talented player, but this midfield, the central midfield competition is going to be off the charts. Uh, so we'll go with Gravenberg and Kimmich at the attacking midfield spot. Listen, as much as I think Bayern Munich needs Thomas Muller right now to help direct the attack, I still don't think Nagelsmann wants to make that call because once he does, it's going to open up this can of worms of, the perception that the club is giving up on Musiala's ability to play that spot for the time being. Sure, I think Muller needs to be on the field right now, and I don't think it should be at striker or wing. I think Musiala could shift out to wing and still be a dynamic presence creating offense and being a scoring threat. But with all of the wing players that Byron has, I think Nagelsmann feels a slight choke. <laughs> He's feeling those hands around his neck because he can't uh, make everyone happy and especially can't make them happy if Jamal Musiala, who needs to be in the starting 11 and one at one position or another, you can't really add him to that wing mix and expect to keep the likes of Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry and Kingsley Coman happy or Sadio Mane when he returns. So I'm going to go with Jamal Musiala to 10. Unfortunately for Thomas Muller and the hashtag Muller Mafia, I'm predicting another bench start for Thomas Muller. Really unfortunate because I think he made a positive impact in the last match. I think it showed that just his presence alone helps the attack start to formulate things better. They move better. Uh, and it's not a knock on Musiala. He's he's exceptional. He will probably be one of the top five or ten best players in the world at some point soon. Uh, Bayern Munich's best 11 right now should include both Muller and Musiala, but it, it appears that Nagelsmann is going to be very hesitant to do that. And again, I, I will say this. I don't get how Muller went from a no questioned, unquestioned starter in the first half of the season, getting injured, having to play the nine for Germany, 
and then being totally out of the mix at for a starting role when he came back. And I know that, you know, Brazo recently talked about the performance principle. Well, the performance principle also includes how you impact games when you enter them. And if Mueller has been more impactful than either wing player, I don't see the harm in bumping Musiala out wide. It just does appear that there's a lot going on in the locker room. I think that the coaching staff is very wary to make changes that will complicate things further. And the easiest move at this point is to keep excluding Mueller from the starting 11. And if that continues to happen, I think Mueller eventually will become unhappy, especially if the team continues to scuffle. And it it could cause a little bit of unrest. We've seen Mueller unhappy before, especially under Nico Kovac and a little bit under Carlo Ancelotti, uh, even though he's at a different stage of his career now. It, it, it's difficult for me to imagine he doesn't have a lot left to give, at least for the rest of this season. At wing, you really have three options here. Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, and Serge Gnabry. Given everything that Gnabry has been through with his ill-fated trip to Paris, the public criticism, some shots from the club, uh, it looks like even though Gnabry got called in for meetings and discussed things and everything was in alignment and that he did the extra training session when he didn't have to, it was completely voluntary when he showed up to to practice with uh, the players that did not start the calling match, it looks like this is a spot where he's going to sit out. And I think it's a message that probably the coaching staff wants to send to him. So I think we are going to see Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman start this match. If we don't, I'm not really sure how to take that. As a fan, I don't really care if he starts or not. It doesn't matter to me. I, I'm more concerned that his career has become a roller coaster ride of performances aside of what he does on his downtime. But I get why the coaching staff is irritated about it, especially when they have this depth problem in terms of having too much of it at wing. So, uh, you know, if they start Canabry, I don't know how if I'm Kingsley Coman or I'm Leroy Sané, whoever gets excluded, uh, I don't know how to perceive that and if that will create some issues for them since they are, by all accounts, doing things that the coaching staff approves of on their downtime. Uh, so we'll go with Coman and Sané, uh, with Gnabry probably coming in as a sub at some point. Uh, at striker, I think it'll be Eric Maxim, Chupo Moting. I think Chupo still, he's, he's been good. He's Listen, he's not great. We'll talk about him a little bit later. He, he's producing at a requisite level right now for what Byron needs from him. Can he maintain it? That's the big question. Doesn't really matter for this match because he's the best option that they have. So that's the starting 11 that I'm going to go with. As for a prediction, I think this match could be a little bit tougher than the two draws, honestly. And this will tell us a lot about this Bayern Munich team. They didn't show a lot. They were a little bit sleepy against Arbe Leipzig in terms of how they were uh, able to perform when they needed to. Against FC Köln, they got caught sleeping right out of the gate and were able to battle back, but just weren't good enough to come back and win that match. So in this one, as much as I think Bayern Munich could be in the midst of a little bit of a downturn, I do think they'll come out and win this one 2-1. It's going to be difficult. I think Eintracht Frankfurt has a pretty good formula for how to play against Bayern Munich. But ultimately, Bayern has that talent. They have that ability, and they need a win right now. So we'll go with 2-1 for Bayern Munich, and that will wrap up the preview portion of this show. 
And we'll now hit on what we normally do, which is the things that we learned this week. And we'll count that preview as number one. But uh, the second thing that I learned this week is that, and this touches on something we just kind of spoke about, is that there's a changing of opinion on Leon Goretzka. And it seems like Ryan Gravenberg is being anointed as the next one to take over that starting role, at least for the rest of the season. Now, for whatever reason, public opinion on Goretzka has really went from, I don't, I couldn't give you a a guesstimate of percentages, but there were many, many pro Goretzka folks before the season. Now it seems like that number is dropping. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, he was injured for a good chunk of the Hinronda, which when, you know, you're out of sight, you're out of mind. So a lot of fans were then focused on how Marcel Sabitzer was performing, the potential of Ryan Gravenberg, and then this transfer rumor that seems to be coming to fruition stating that Conrad Limer was going to quickly be on his way to Bayern Munich after the season ends. Uh, for whatever reason, Koretska has started to draw the ire of fans. And, and I think some of it probably has to do with his role in the Germany protest and the fallout from that and everything that came out afterwards, where we saw that a lot of the team did not want to participate. They just wanted to focus on football and that Koretska and Neuer really pushed the issue and, while, while it really didn't seem like anyone was against the sentiment of the protest, they didn't want to make the protest become about them as a squad. And unfortunately, that's what happened. And there there were whispers that, you know, Goretzka is a grandstander and that, you know, he's trying to put himself in the spotlight, which on any team is kind of a death knell for team chemistry. Uh, and I think that might have played a little bit of a role in why Germany was so choppy in the World Cup. But either way, the fan sentiment toward Leon Goretzka has really started to go downhill. And I think it's a shame because, listen, he has been brittle. He's, he's had a lot of injuries. But when he is on, he has a dynamic and eight, a, a great box-to-box presence, as there is. I mean, he can affect games in so many different ways. I think there's a lot at play here. I think that Bayern Munich knows it has a pretty good talent in Gravenberg who might not quite be ready, but he quite frankly wants to run before he can crawl or before he can walk. He is a good player, a lot of potential with a lot of potential, but you know, is he ready for the rigors of the Bundesliga and then the DFB Pokal in the Champions League? Is he someone that the club can depend on? I think he's kind of complained his way into the discussion for a starting role. As for Sabitzer, like we just talked about, I think he's now off the radar and it doesn't matter what he did in the first half of the season because with Limer now officially in, well, not officially, but all but officially incoming, uh, it seems like Sabitzer is now just an afterthought to this whole mix. Why Goretzka has kind of taken this turn and not just the eyes of the fans, but in the coaching staff, I do think it has to to really revolve around his availability he has picked up a lot of knocks. He has missed a lot of time. Even against Cole when he was, I think, having a very good match, you know, he sustained, you know, that knock on the head caused some dizziness and he had to come out. And we saw Gravenberg come in. I do think the coaching staff could do a little more to rest Kimmich, but of course I've been beating that dead horse for about two years and, and use a combination of Goretzka and Sabitzer or Goretzka and Gravenberg, whatever. I think there could be more rotating there that would be beneficial because there are many games where we see Joshua Kimmich look looking like he wants to step on the accelerator but has no gas in the tank. And 
for his own good, I think he should sit a little bit more. But when you have the talent that Bayern Munich has in the central midfield, it makes no sense not to utilize it all to its fullest capacity. And right now, I think with the way fans are starting to perceive Goretzka and that, you know, and maybe I'm reading into this a little much, but it seems like the coaching staff has soured on him a little. I think this could be an opportunity for him to assess what's going on. And I'm not so sure if he thinks he's going to get the short end of the stick next season, if he's going to hang around for that to happen. Uh, Goretzka, for what we know about him, and he is a pretty private person. He has some pretty strong beliefs about a lot of things, but he seems to have really a strong sense of self-belief and confidence in himself. And I, I feel like, his ability to work with Kimmich when when Kimmich was, you know, buying into the fact that he was a six and not an eight, I felt like that was as good a combination as there was in club football in terms of a central midfield double pivot. I think they both understood each other's games. They knew how to play together. There was just an un really like a a nonverbal communication between them as to what their roles would be on a specific possession. And now I don't know that it's fully there. I do think Kimmich wants to be more of an eight now. I think he feels like he has much more to offer offensively and that the six role is not quite what he wants to do. Now, how does that work? Sabitzer, he sacrificed his own game to play that six and did so admirably and did so really well. Does Gravenberg have that same willingness? I don't think so, at least not at this stage of his career. Uh, What about Limer next season? Yeah, I think Limer could easily be a six. He's played the six, the eight, a little bit of outside back, which I don't really think he'll play too much of at Bayern Munich. But he's a six or an eight, and I think he is also the type of player that we could see sacrifice a bit of his own game to work together with Kimmich. Now, if that happens in the in the long-term plan is for Limer to come in and, and usurp a starting role over Goretzka and Gravenberg, I do think Gravenberg will unravel and probably ultimately want a loan or, or a move away. And I also think Goretzka is going to push to probably leave. And as much as there is the the mindset of, you know, stay and compete for your job and, you know, do what you need to do, I think if Goretzka stays a season, I could say it. I don't see him lasting much more than that if he is not in the starting 11 because he's, quite frankly, talented enough to be in the starting 11 for a lot of different clubs. So I think his future right now is in doubt, and I've speculated on this in the past. I don't know why fans have have kind of turned on him, and it's not all fans. Granted, like I'm still a fan of his game and think he is a starting player for Bayern Munich and still one of the most effective midfielders in the world. But some fans, especially if if you ventured down the rabbit hole of Twitter and Goretzka, you see Goretzka's name on a string. It's typically not all that good, and you see a lot of the haters on him coming out. Uh, you know, we hear a lot of things uh, or see a lot of things. Uh, talking about steroids and all that. Like, I don't know. Like I've spent like a lot of my time in, in gyms and we even have a, a person on staff who manages gym. Goretzka, much like Robert Lewandowski is not the bulky mass you usually see out of a steroid user. I mean, these are lean muscles. I mean, yeah, he's muscular and he is strong, but I mean, like 
if you've been around particularly in the United States around the gyms, and I know there are different types of steroids and different types of effect. I don't need a lecture on all of that, but steroid guys have a little bit different of a look. They're not as lithe, not as their muscles are not as long and lean and, and I don't buy it. I mean, maybe I'm a sucker, but I, I don't buy it on Gretzko or Lewandowski just because of the way that they are built. It doesn't really reek like a normal steroid user and how they walk around and how their build evolves. And, and believe me, I've been around quite a few, including some that openly talk about it. But that's beside the point. Regardless, public perception of Goretzka has changed. And now it'll be interesting to see if the coaching staffs has changed as well. The third thing that we learned this week, and this relates to Conrad Limer, is that FC Barcelona tried to hijack Bayern Munich's move for Limer and was unsuccessful. And I know for so many Bayern fans, that was probably a laugher to see because Barca right now, for all of the levers that it has to pull to bring in players and make sure their payroll is intact, adding Conrad Limer even as a free transfer to the mix would have been another headache into as to how to fit his salary into what is already existing. But either way, FC Barcelona struck out on that. But it did make me think about Sabitzer and, and his role. And, and the most recent report is that even though Limer is incoming, Sabitzer is not quite sure he wants to leave. And what we have seen about Sabitzer from the beginning, and I know Russ has touched uh, on this a bit, especially when Sabitzer was initially required. Russ, by Russ, I mean RLD, BFW staffer. Uh, you know, Sabitzer is a family man. He's not looking to move around. He's particularly not looking to leave the Germany, Austria kind of area. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's of the mindset that he needs to be a starter any longer, which is to me a little concerning because I feel like he's got a lot to offer, but he might have different goals in mind for his life. And we've seen several players adopt this mindset. Uh, Some players never get to that stage of the career, but perhaps Sabitzer has, and perhaps he is happy with his career in Bayern Munich. He's happy with his contract and he's willing to fight for playing time, even if he knows it, it wouldn't be a level playing field and trying to get where he wants to be. So that'll be interesting to watch play out for Sabitzer. He's still a good player, but bringing in Limer definitely sounds like it is going to be an impediment to Sabitzer ever really having an important role with Bayern Munich again. But the moral of the story is for FC Barcelona. I mean, it was kind of funny to see that because we had not seen Limer linked to them. We had seen several clubs in England, but not really any in Spain. So, you know, Bayern being able to outduel Barca, you know, especially after Barca was, was, you know, instrumental in convincing Robert Lewandowski to give up his Real Madrid hopes and, and sign a deal with them. I think it was a little bit of a turnabout as fair play. Uh, a little bit of that type of feeling from Bayern Munich fans. The fourth thing that we learned this week is that the much talked about transfer rumors linking Bayern Munich to Chelsea's Kai Havertz and Tottenham Hotspur's Harry Kane are probably all for naught. It does not look like Bayern is fully interested in either player at this point. Not that they're not interested, I should say, but that the realistic possibility of getting those players in and having them fit in with the squad uh, it probably is not going to happen. And for Kane, it has nothing to do with his ability or willingness to integrate. It has to do with his cost. He is not affordable for Bayern Munich. Uli Hona said as much. And it does not look to me 
you know, and it's never looked to me like he wants to make the move anyway. So that is the longest of long shots. We've talked about that several times on the podcast. I don't want to waste anyone's time droning on about it any longer. It really is a matter of cost and the fact that Bayern Munich cannot afford a transfer fee plus his, you know, pretty hefty salary. So uh, Kane, we can see why it's off the table. As for Havertz, there was some speculation that Bayern might want to use him as a nine, but the latest thing that we have seen is that they don't want to use him as a nine. They pretty much only see him as a 10. They don't see him as a wing. And the 10 position right now is is uh, pretty jammed up with Jamal Musiala, Thomas Muller, maybe Ryan Gravenberg, maybe Paul Vonner, maybe Arian Ibrahimovic. Uh, who else? I mean, there's a million other young prospects that also play the 10. So uh, it just does seem like Bayern is not going to be shopping for that position anytime soon. So those of you hoping to see Kai Havertz in one form or another Bayern Munich, you're going to be disappointed because it just does sound like at this point, uh, Bayern is is not really all that interested and is going to move on and pursue other things. The fifth and final thing that we learned this week is Bayern Munich has a plan for its attack. And I hear what here's what I am here to tell you is that I think it's a mess. And why do I think it's a mess? Well, let's just take a look. We saw this report emerge from Sky Sports' Florian Plettenberg, which laid out how Bayern Munich views its depth chart for next season and how it wants to proceed, which to me, I I kind of felt like was a mess. (laughs) So let's start at the wing positions. At left wing, uh, Bayern sees Sadio Mane and Serge Gnabry as the players for that spot. It sees Kingsley Coman and Leroy Sané as the players for right wing. When we look at left wing and we see Gnabry and Mane, I don't see that there's any way to keep Gnabry happy because Nagelsmann has really looked afraid to take Mane off the pitch. Uh, It doesn't look like he has any interest in having him sit on the bench. And maybe that's a Mane thing. Maybe he doesn't want to take the occasional game off. Maybe it's in his contract. Maybe it's an agreement that he made. But whatever the case I don't think ego-wise you're going to see Serge Gnabry except taking a backseat to Sadio Mane, just the same way as I don't think Sadio Mane would accept sitting out a couple of extra games in favor of Serge Gnabry. At right wing, this is a real dynamic battle because you have two players that have been pretty good this season, uh, but one of whom, Leroy Sané, seems to operate best on the left. And this is why I actually put a lot of validity into what Plettenberg, who is, I think, an exceptional reporter, I I put a lot of validity into what he has said here, because if you look and follow at how Nagelsmann has used these players, and you know what we know about them, where they prefer to play, how much they prefer to play, you would think that there is no way in hell that Nagelsmann would put Mane and Sané in competition with each other on the left side, because what if, and this is not out of the realm of possibility, Sané is better? Do you think Mane would be happy riding Pine behind him? Probably not. So if you put Sané on the right side, it puts him in the battle with Kingsley Coman, who the club apparently loves. They they And why not? He's a great player. I don't want to make it sound like there's not a reason to like Kingsley Coman, but I don't know why it has to be an either or why these four players have to be divided among the two positions and only, you know, really have to play those particular spots. Uh, This is a mess to me. I don't agree with this at all. I think that it's very short sighted. And it's one of the reasons why I was not overly thrilled when Bayern Munich 
signed Sadio Mane because I didn't feel like they needed him. I thought between Serge Gnabry, Kingsley Coman, and Leroy Sané, that was enough to have a starting core three wingers for two spots. When you mix in Jamal Musiala as a fourth option, then you, you've you really got something. And now that we know Matisse Tell can also play the wing, that would have given you five pretty solid options, five dangerous options for sure. When you have six, I, I feel like this is just a powder keg waiting to explode. And I do think there's going to be some issues over the course of the second half of this season uh, with playing time and keeping these veterans happy. And I think for sure next season, if this is how it plays out and everyone stays healthy, there are going to be a lot of issues. So I'm not thrilled about that wing situation, how it's broken down. Uh, I, I feel like Nagelsmann is setting himself up for a lot of headaches. As for the attacking midfield, the only two players that were named were Musiala and Muller, which is natural because Musiala is uh, the current starter. Muller is the current backup. What this left out of the mix was any type of playing time for Paul Vonner, Arian Ibrahimovic, Lavro Zavronarik, who I would assume will probably go out on loan. And we could see all three of those young kids go out on loan at this point. I mean, it's getting to the point now where um, – I don't know how you fit in another 10 on this roster because Musiala is barely going to come off. And you've also got Muller for that role. You could even play Chupo, Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, so many other players in that role as well. I don't know how the youngsters get integrated. So I have a lot of concern about what happens with them, what the career path now looks like for those young players, including Paul Vonner, who I feel like, you know, seeing this report, if he actually read it, it's probably like, what the hell? Like, how do I fit into this? Um, but, you know, Musiala Muller, it makes sense. Uh, you know, Gravenberg is another player that that the club allegedly likes at that spot. So there's just so much talent there. Uh, I, I can see why this is the direction they're going. But realistically, again, I don't know that you're going to be able to keep all of those players happy if Jamal Musiala is dominating the playing time, which I fully expect him to do. At striker, Eric Maxim Chupomoting, who is reportedly could be the benefactor of getting a $10 million per year deal or 10 million euro per year deal from Bayern Munich, is the player they're looking to to be the long-term starter and by long-term the rest of this season and next season. Thomas Muller and Matisse Tell were mentioned as uh, the backups. This, to me, is a major red flag. And listen, we all love Chupo. We love his story. We love what he's been able to do. I don't know that you're setting yourself up for success if he's your starting nine for two years. Um, specifically, in this report from Plettenberg, Marcus Turam and Dusan Vlahovic were, were mentioned as two players who Bayern Munich will not be pursuing because they are convinced that Chupo Moting can do the job. This is uh, kind of crazy to me. And again, I don't want to sound like it's a knock on Chupo because if there's ever been a pro Chupo website, it's been BFW. I mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously, John essentially, uh, you know, he, he predicted the deal. There's no, you know, essentially battle really. He definitely predicted the deal, said Bayern Munich should do it. And I think a day later, Brazo announced it. So it was kind of crazy because it came out of nowhere. And we have been on the, you know, the Chupo bandwagon for a long time. He's been a, a solid veteran addition, popular in the locker room, productive when he does play, all good things. But I don't know if you want to be a serious contender in Europe 
that you can roll him out there and expect that he's going to come out of battles with top flight center backs and be successful. Um, I, I don't get it. I, I seriously don't get their strategic direction. If this report is true of what is going on. Uh, Plettenberg mentioned that the club probably wouldn't be able to go out and get a top flight striker, which and that may or may not be true. I, I don't know the exact finances of it. I think getting Harry Kane is a ridiculous thought. Like that's just in, insane money that would, we're talking about there. But to go out and get someone else, someone who would really be considered a top flight striker, I don't think it's out of the, the realm of possibility for what Bayern Munich should be able to do. So I am worried. I am worried that this is going to turn into two years of treading water because Byron is either setting itself up financially to make a big run at someone else, perhaps Florian Verts, or they just legitimately think they can win this way. And if that's the case, I, I worry a little bit about Nagelsmann. I worry a little bit about Brazo, and I would love it if they proved me wrong. But to think in my mind that you can look at this attack the way it's structured in what Plettenberg reported and think one, you're going to keep all those wings happy Two, you're going to be able to develop any young players and three rely on Eric Maxim Chupo Moting to go out and score a goal a game. I don't think it can happen. I don't, I just, I don't see it. And I hate to sound pessimistic about it, but to me, this is a disaster in the making. And by disaster, I don't mean they're going to have a losing record by any means. They'll probably still be good enough to win the league. They might win the Pokal, but I don't think you can be a serious contender in Europe given this attack. And I just, I don't say it. And, you know, again, I'd love to be proven wrong about it. I know there are a lot of people that have strong thoughts about this. And and when they read the report, they probably, you know, formulated their own ideas. But I'd love to hear what you think about it, because to me, it's it's not going to work. And that's about as nicely as I can say that. Uh, one final thought uh, for this uh, this show. Uh, I like to always hit on a little bit of entertainment at the end. And as you know, my, my streaming has been struggling, but I have kept up on The Last of Us. And uh, I also wanted to mention Cobra Kai at the end. So let me just give you some quick thoughts on The Last of Us. Episode two on HBO was... I thought good, again, not great. Uh, I love the background and the introductory, basically the opening scene to each of the episodes has been excellent, where we see uh, in the first episode a prediction about what might happen. And in the second episode, we see a doctor evaluating some of the early infections and the panic and the realization that the world is in trouble. I loved seeing that. The actual storyline so far, to me, has it's been very slow. Uh, you know, we are getting a lot of background about uh, what the world is like, why things are the way they are, how these zombie-like creatures are uh, operating, what is motivating and driving the characters, uh, the dangers that are out there. It's been a lot, a lot of information. Uh, but the storyline itself is pretty slow. Uh, I find, you know, I like the three main characters, three main actors. They're all terrific. They are carrying it. If you had, I think, lesser actors there, I probably would not be as into the show as I am. Uh, I, to me, they are making the show because I think the storyline is still proven to be a little slow and a little boring. Um, you know, it's and maybe it's just the, you know, the generation that I'm in now that, you know, we've witnessed The Walking Dead and 
we've seen like the zombie tropes before and the suspense and all that. Maybe it's not hitting me the same way it would as if I had never seen the walking dead. But what I can say is the story right now is just progressing a little too slow. And I feel like for as much as I bang shows for jumping too far ahead, I think this needs to start to move forward a little faster and we need to start seeing more of the outside world, the way things are outside of Boston. So um, that's my thought on it. Show still has a lot of potential, still like what I'm seeing, but you know, it's the same way with house of the dragon. The first couple of episodes, you knew what you were in for. You were going to get a lot of information. You had to process it, get to start to understand motivations and the way of the world. So I'm in that mode where I'm just taking it all in, not crushing the show because I feel like there will be a good payoff. And I feel like there's still a lot of potential for it, but you know, as these episodes drone on, it's, it's a little tough to to make it through when you you know you want to start to see where the plot lines are headed so um good show so far but uh you know i'm expecting a lot more from it as we move forward as for cobra kai you know i was one of the original people championing this show yet i'm the same idiot who has not watched the last season of it because of just not being home a lot like i can't if you knew my schedule from last weekend and and all the driving back and forth i had to do with my kids to their uh, futsal regionals, uh, you would know that I pretty much am one of the zombies from these shows. But Cobra Kai, we got the news this week that it will end after the next season. I think that's a good call. Again, I'm saying this not having watched the last one, but when you have that amount of seasons, I think it would be season six. It's about the, the shelf life for a show like that to keep it interesting and moving and not really start to really drag it on. And I've always loved the nostalgia of Cobra Kai. I love the redemption story of Johnny Lawrence. I love being able to catch up on these characters. I will tell you that how this show was done was just about perfect in terms of picking up a movie or a show after X amount of years and relaying what has been going on with these characters in their lives. I mean, I graded an A plus for that alone. Uh, and, and, you know, just the little nuances, the Johnny crushing course banquet beer, all of his 80s hair metal references, all, all of it. I mean, it is like if you are a child of my generation, I'm in my mid 40s. I don't know how you could watch that show and one, not like it, but two, not appreciate those subtle nuances and how they went through and attached those things from the 80s to those characters i still love every second of it and i will be starting it probably this weekend uh i'm looking forward to catching up on that last season and i will recap the entire season in one of my weekend warm-up columns but that'll about do it for this show please enjoy the byron i track frankfurt uh game this weekend uh as always you know we're going to keep you in the loop as to what the future of this podcast is we are actively in talks with uh, several different platforms, trying to figure out what we want to do next and where we want to be and, and how we can get there. So uh, we anticipate continuing to keep going. We don't know how long that will take. We have about a month left at SB Nation. The site will remain on SB Nation. We haven't heard anything about that, uh, but we do know that the, con- that the podcast will eventually 
uh, find its way onto a new platform unless something else breaks in a different direction. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. Get our tweetmeister, Tommy Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get all of our talented podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Have a couple of beers on me this weekend, and we will see you next time.